Welcome to People Who Teach, a podcast about the habits, beliefs, and ideas of real people who teach. My name is Brian Seppi, and I am thrilled to share this space with my talented colleague, Mr. Andrew Stella. In this episode, we unpack one question that I'm sure you have all either thought about or should be thinking about. And the question is, what is the one thing or a few things that you've changed your mind about since you've started teaching? This question is powerful because it's an exercise in reflecting on the growth that you've experienced as an educator, the way that you're showing up for kids. And in this episode, Andrew and I really dig deep into reflecting on things like the space in our rooms, the big one, which is homework, and the way that we interact with students and the way we measure our success. I hope you can join us for this episode. And if you find some value here, we would really appreciate you leaving us a comment and letting us know how we're doing. And as always, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. Enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. Andrew, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Brian? Hanging in there, man. I think uh, tomorrow is my day that I am going to get out on the snowboard. Uh, I mentioned that in the last episode. And uh, I'm going to get out on the snowboard and I'm going to do my thing tomorrow. I'm going to let my son coach me up. So tomorrow is my first day learning something new. I will keep you posted in the next episode as to my progress. You are a lot braver than me. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the thing is I worry about uh, is there going to be any implications for how well I feel, you know, after that event tomorrow night. So we'll we'll find (laughs) out. How about you? How is uh, how's the classroom going? How's school going? Good. Everything's going great. Really good stuff. You know, it's everyone's getting ready for that break, that February break, whether you have it, your school district does it. Do you guys do February break? Yeah, we do. So, you know, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think people are in the mindset of, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, sort of a, a, a refresher on the way. And people are definitely anticipating that. And that feels really good. I think people need to take advantage of that. You know, no doubt. No doubt. I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm not really aware that it's around the corner, I think, but you know, once we get there. Yeah. So in this podcast, um, we decided that we would try and answer one question and we're probably going to do this in more of a conversation format. And I think this will land with many people who are in education. So this appeals to our early career teachers, our teachers who've been around for some time and um, those maybe in different roles and anybody in education can certainly respond to this question. And the question we came up with is what is something or some things that you've changed your mind about since you started in education? And I think this is a powerful question because it gets you reflecting on your journey as an educator, where you started. And then it also gets you thinking or gets you forward thinking about the things and shifts that you've changed and you've made in your practice that are having a real impact now. Like basically, how have you grown, right? So like, what are the things you've you've changed your mind about or maybe even not changed your mind about? So that's interesting. So what's something you've changed your mind about um, since you started teaching, Andrew? Oh man, it's there's just so many. Um, I think I always start with like behavior management. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching and like how to deal with 
um, issues in the class, you know, dealing with different procedures and routines and how that has kind of evolved. It, you know, we all started, I started with, you know, like a clip chart and stuff like that. And I, that is not who I am whatsoever. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and it's been a lot more ugly. Uh, and, and I have stories and experiences on when I know, when I knew it was probably like, I don't know, probably two or three years in that I knew that that was something I didn't want in my classroom anymore. And it didn't work. And, you know, just like, you you know, we talk about this all the time. We read books, we research, we do article or you, we read articles. We're up to date on research and things like that. And we talk with other educators and, uh, you know, it has evolved over time. I've looked at different, different, uh, like SEL programs, like conscious discipline, um, different things that I've incorporated from. And, and that's the thing too, picking and choosing the little things that you want, right? Whenever you get like a new program or something, you, you always rely on what, what you've used in the past or what has made you successful or what's been most effective for you. So I look at that, you know? Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I'm capturing a theme just from your, your response already. And I think this will be, I'm going to, I'm going to test it. I'm going to see if this comes true at the end here. I think there are going to be general themes throughout this episode that we try and answer, which is what is something you've changed your mind about, which leads to, you know, it leads to the growth conversation. It leads to basically how have you evolved? How have you grown? All of those could be subsets of this question. So here's, here's, here's the thing that I heard you say um, that I think is important. You've shifted and you've changed your mind about how you approach discipline or classroom management, you know, as a, as a whole. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, you know, my experience coming from sort of other um, careers before education really had me thinking that classroom management was, you know, the biggest hurdle like out there, like it was, it was something that like people talked about and I don't know if it was just maybe the time or whatever, but like you almost had a sense of like, all right, I've, I don't know what, I, I can't put my finger on this classroom management thing. You come to find out later in your career that classroom management is really about culture. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm just saying it, it's really about culture. It's really about um, making sure that you are building in the type of culture that you want and classroom management as it pertains to the educator, the teacher comes down to, and I know there are many things written on this, but it really comes down to a way of being. It's like, mm -hmm. like the, the way you are going to respond to things. It's the way you're going to interact when things don't go the way you wanted them to. And, or like, what's your threshold for other people? Because kids will test those boundaries. Kids will come in and do things. And like, you have to like pause sometimes. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, conscious discipline and that sort of frame of work, because I, I feel like in a lot of ways, kids are just being kids. And it's like, it's, it's really about your threshold. It's really about what are you comfortable with? And mm -hmm. honestly, the question we really have to ask when we pivot or shift when it comes to classroom management is like, what's your value system around that? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, and if kids don't live up to your value system, then maybe it's about reflecting on your value system. Because 
kids are kids and we have to encourage them to find their voice, have choice, be who they want to be. So I just feel like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't know that I could put a, a, a focus and a shift on classroom management. I do know in my role now walking in and, and you know, um, demonstrating lessons and classes and that sort of thing as, as an instructional coach, what I'm about is when I go in, uh, all the credit goes to the teacher in the room, right? Like, so I first come in and I say, you know, I'm so excited to be with Mr. Stella's students today. We're going to, we're going to, Mr. Stella and I are going to collaborate and we're going to talk about what good writers do. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I kind of say like, you know, I, I'll, I'll set you up and I'll say, you know, Hey, Mr. Stella, um, obviously if a kid comes to me and it's an emergency, I'll, I'll do my best to handle that. But if a kid comes to me for a general classroom management thing, like, where does this go? Can I get up out of my seat? Can I go to the bathroom? I will always defer to you because I don't want to break and say, yeah, go to the bathroom. I don't, don't sign out. Go, you know, like it, that's not my place. And mm -hmm. so I want to respect the culture of the room. And I always defer to the person that I'm working with. So yeah, changing your mind about discipline or class. I say, I keep saying discipline. It's not discipline. Um, it's just like your, your, your procedures, your practices, your classroom structures, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. Like you're right. It starts with you. I literally walk down the hallway of my school and I've done this since we, I started with you at Westminster. I walk by every kid and I'm like, what's up, ma'am? You know, how's it going? Hey, yeah. what's up? And like, they look at me and they're like, who is that guy? They're, they're going to find out who I am. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're very intrigued by it. They're like, this guy's just asking, you know, not many people <laughs> do that, you know? Right. right. And, and it's like that culture. What do you create in class? Something I'm doing, and this is a great tip too, is I'm, I'll, I'm full remote with my kids, right? right? Take 10 minutes at the end of every day and just have one kid every day, 19 students for 19 days, one kid stays back and you're supposed to do like small group. No, just have a conversation with them. How's, yeah. how's, how's things going? How's home? How's your baby brother doing? Have you watched any good movies? Just have a, a genuine conversation with a kid. It will get you miles. Yeah. Miles. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, that's a really great point. You know, that one conversation can shape and shift the whole day for a kid. Um, so yeah, so one thing you've changed your mind about is your classroom management and procedures. Yeah, going from things like, you know, clip down, clip up, those wow. types of charts, you you immediately outgrow those things because you realize those things, be, those things were... They were for me. They were for me. They, they were, were for, for me. They, they weren't for the kids. And, and, and it put too much stress on them it was me not having control. And we've talked about this before, not on the podcast, but this idea of like having control and, and things like that. And, and how as adults, we feel, you know, it's those relationships that you build with students. And it took, and when I was that three years, when I got rid of the clip charts and I started reading and I started researching and you start seeing that, like, maybe this, maybe this could work, but it didn't, it wasn't the routines. It was me. Right. We had to change. And right. if you look at like uh, Franklin Covey, when he talks about like leadership and the seven habits and things like that, the first habit is be proactive. If you can't mm -hmm. take care of yourself, mm -hmm. forget it. You're not going to be able to take care of 26-year-olds who, again, like you said, they will push because they don't know the limit because they haven't been taught it yet. Yeah. So 
they they'll push and they'll push and they need somebody to pull them back and say, Hey, like, um, I need you to, I need you to calm down or, or whatever, because they, they honestly don't know their kids. Everything is, they might be even a new experience for them mm-hmm. when they're in a group, a small group. And you're thinking, I'm a first grade teacher. We're going to go into groups of four and we're going to have a discussion and the kids don't know what to do. It may have been the first time they ever got into a small group. How do they even know how to act in it? Right. That's huge. Yeah. Like just knowing the norms, uh, but, but, but being engaged in part of the process when it comes to those norms, I think is, is crucial. So tonight we're talking about what are the things that you have changed your mind about since you started teaching or started in your role in an educational system? One of the things that I've changed my mind about since I started teaching, and this is going to sound I don't know. It, it, it sounds funny to me when I say it back because it's so ridiculous. I really thought that in my classroom, so I'll take this from a couple different lenses tonight. One is like my experience as a classroom teacher, and then I'll take it from sort of what have I changed my mind about when it comes to instructional coaching, which is what I've been doing since 2008. One of the things that has been a, a big shift for me when I first started teaching, I thought that I had to have like my room covered Uh, like um, this sounds so lame when I say it, I I thought that I had to have my room covered in like, like posters, you know, like, um, what was the one, like, you know, if, if you, if you tell the truth, um, the first time you never have to remember what you said. And like all these things that I thought spoke to like the type of teacher that I wanted to be. And, you know, um, a a perseverance kind of poster over here and and things like that. Or, uh, my favorite, which was like the little mini poster of like transitional words, that you would have and i would have them way up high right and all of a sudden you're like you 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 can't the, the kids can't see them they would never use that chart so i've changed my mind about like how you need to create the space in a classroom because i think the space has to speak to kids but it can't be so overdone that you know kids are either sort of paying the cognitive tax around I'm not sure where to go and what to focus on, but I also know that it has to be useful. And one of the most powerful exercises that happened early in my career, and I was so grateful for it, um, we had uh, staff development through Teachers College Reading and Writing Project and the great Kathleen Tolan, who later went on to mentor me heavily in my role as an instructional coach. And, but as a classroom teacher, she would, she would do this exercise where she walked into our rooms and then she would ask the students, I need everybody to stand up. And it was like this dramatic, like you have no idea what's going to happen. Like like next, she'd say, I need you to look around the room and I need you to think about what are the tools or charts that are on the walls that you use most often in the classroom. And she said, I just want you to look. I think students will be looking around. And then she'd say, great. Now that you've identified the place the one space that you use most often in your, in your work, I need you to go stand by it. And the exercise was like an exercise in vulnerability because now as a, as a teacher, you're like, Oh my gosh, like, where are they going? You know, like you have that moment of panic where like, what are they going to do next? And so they would go. And what happened was most kids stood in sort of groups or clusters, larger groups by, you know, like a class of 20, we're talking like, 11 kids standing at one poster or chart and another five or six at this chart. And you soon realize that like, this is what they're using in the room. They're Mm -hmm. not using the, 
other periphery stuff that's on, on posterized on your wall, they're using one or two things. And you're like, all right, great. So I've got a strength. Those charts are working for me. Those tools are working for me. But the other stuff, the other like stuff that's not working, you know, I have to figure out like, what can I tease out or walk myself back from? And I think when I reflect back on my class, I'm like, I always had like an author board, right? Like where their writing went with their picture there and the pictures changed. I did a little thing where I changed them seasonally because I was like, you're going to grow as a writer. And then we kind of kept all of their pictures. This is back when you actually had to take a photo, not from your phone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, those sorts of things, I'm not talking about that in a classroom. Like those are a little bit different because those are more about community and culture. I'm talking about the, the chart or the, the thing you would buy that just went up there for sort of like wall space that never really got used. So that is something I've definitely changed my mind about is like, how are we utilizing space? And I can go, I can dovetail into that, like a, a few more things around, like, you know, I didn't have tables when I first started, I had desks, mm -hmm. um, I, I did things in rows because I thought, you know, that was sort of, and this, this speaks to the space issue. I had things in rows because I wanted to make sure that I had everybody pointed, like focus on the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then I got tables midway through the year because we did so much group activity that, it, and then that shifted my space in my room where now I was seeing it different. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they're, they're, they're collaborating more. They're talking more. They're also off task a little bit more. So I've got to figure out my management, which fed into your, to your number one, but you soon realize that, yeah, that, that was all about me and space, right? Like, what am I comfortable with? Why did I have that up there? That sort of thing. Well, and you even look at, um, like right now, right? Like right now is like very unorthodox for education, right? Like nothing's, Nothing's very, you know, I, I have my, my classroom. Okay. So my classroom, another teacher is in there right now hmm. and she's using all my, um, she, she's a science teacher. She was there when I was in elementary school. Okay. Oh, she wow. was over for maternity leave and she was my teacher. Yeah. Um, and she's in my classroom and sh they're using my books. They're using my hmm. bin. They're using all my stuff. And like it, Man, me a few years ago would be like, oh, no way. Like, those are my books. Those are yeah. those are my things. And I think one thing that this pandemic has taught me is that I can teach anywhere with anything and, and desks and rows, whatever. Like, I'm going to figure it out because we we are lifelong learners, right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of like... I guess this podcast, this theme that you talked about is just like that we're always finding ways to grow, get better and like think critically about things. Like another thing that pops in my head is like homework. We talk about it. We talk about doing a podcast for homework all the time. Homework or no. <laughs> homework gets its own uh, episode maybe. I don't know. Homework probably should get its own episode, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to light the fire right yeah. away and say, yeah. I don't, I don't give homework. Thank I don't. You so much. I I encourage kids to read at home. Yeah. Um. You know, it, 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 who is it? John Hattie who did the, the? Doesn't he do the? Yeah. The 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 impacts and and what's having an impact on education and learning, right? Yeah. yeah. And homework is like way down there, way at the bottom. And yeah. I I forget what the top ten are, but if you look at the top ten, it's all about 
building relationships, kids knowing what they need to do and when they need to do it clear direct. Like those are the mm-hmm. things that are very, very, and I could be wrong, whatever the top 10 is, but you see yeah. the top 10 and you're like, well, that's where I need to get to. Right. And you know, homework is the same, same thing. Do I challenge students? Do I give, you know, like things for them to do if they want to do more or be more successful? Sure. I definitely do those things. If, if parents are looking for more things, sure. I got a ton for you. Right. But I, after my kids started getting older and I like, I just want to spend time with them. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. And like you said, I, I think it's another, I think it's a deep dive episode. I don't know. We said we were going to try and keep this one to about 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and we're already at 20. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll trim out something. I, I think homework is, and I'll say this. Yeah, you can't once you once you realize the importance of yeah, the, these students. They go home, they have other activities, you know, in a normal year um, that they should be engaged in, hopefully. And if they're not, then that precious time it just general play. Um, like my kids have been over on that pond until like nine o'clock at night, you know, most nights, and it's like they're learning so much over there and if they had homework or that were hanging over their head and they had to come back and do that work i it just it makes them feel a different way and it and it 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 definitely shifts the the sort of vibe in the house right so yeah i'll just leave it at that i've got a lot of views on homework especially when it relates to uh our our k through sort of six uh students for sure um but that's great. So homework is something you've shifted your um, mind. Another, about, uh, another, another, thing. another change, you know, another, another change. change, another change. Yeah. And that's great. Like you start off one way, like when you start off early in your career, you assign homework you, no you, doubt. For, for whatever reason. I, I mean, maybe that's shifting now. Maybe that's starting to shift. I would have to ask, and, and maybe this is a question for our audience too. Like if you're an early career teacher and you're out there right now, are you assigning homework? Mm-hmm. I, I want to know the answer to that. I really do. Like if you're a K6 early career teacher, are you assigning homework and for what purpose? You know, like, is it because your your team does it? Is it because you feel like they need that extra practice? Like what's what's the real purpose? For me, it was a little bit of, um, I, I wasn't sure if we got it all in in the day and I wanted to make sure that like, and homework was something that like I grew up with. So yeah. I couldn't separate it when I got into the classroom and I was just like, I was just assigning math homework. And then I started to realize like kids weren't handing it in. And then I became a different teacher at noon because I was looking for this homework. And I'm like, all right, so I, do I really want to be in this battle? Like, is this, is this who I want to be as an educator? And you soon realize you're like, I'm not sure. I don't think that's me. It even translates to like, so like I have assignments that need to be handed in or something that we did in the morning. When I go to teach my next lesson at like one o'clock, I can't check those assignments. I don't want to see them. I don't, I don't want to know that you didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, there's probably, and this goes back to classroom management or Mm -hmm. structures. You don't know every kid's story. You don't know what happened at home. You don't know the situation that they're in and they might have not like, I, I tell this to my wife all the time. Like, Cause she's working in, in, in the school now. And it's like 98% of the time it's, it's really an accident. Like mm-hmm. they didn't mean to not do the homework. Yeah. Like they, right. they really want kids want to please, they want to sure. do what's expected out of them. But sometimes you might go, and this is another thing that's changed for me. I could go on this. We should have yeah. on 30 minutes for this podcast. <laughs> it could be an hour and 30 minutes. Right. Right. But, but change is like, 
you have to learn the hard way not to jump on a kid and assume something because 98% of the time you're going to find out that it probably wasn't their fault. It was probably something else. I'm not saying it was another adult or anything. It might've been an emergency situation and they just couldn't do it. And here you are in the middle of your lesson, upset with this kid who had a serious emergency and that's why they couldn't do it. And you don't, you don't know that. Yeah. I had, you know, it's funny. I had two things that really affected me uh, early early on in my career when it came to homework. And one was a a personal story about a student who went home um, and mom had to work um, the overnight shift. So her nap time was sort of the time they were getting home Mm -hmm. and um, or middle of the day or whatever. And uh, so this student would have to go home and take care of two younger two-year-old twins uh, until um, another caregiver came to sit with them overnight. And so my, my point in saying that is like, of course, there was there was no there was no need to assign homework to then burden this child with you know the homework piece plus the caregiver piece. And it's like, you know what, like this kid was great. Like he just wanted to do graphic novel stuff and he was making it. And had I tapped into that a little bit earlier, you know, I think I, I could have had maybe more of an impact, right? you know, was like, all right, let's just go down that path. Like, let's get you writing more graphic novels. And like, I want you to like publish something. And like, if that's your passion and you find time to do that, great. But um, math homework, I don't know. I'm out on that. All right. So. Next thing, and maybe we're going to take some flack for that. I don't know. Uh, I've got some. I've got a little live feed going on here too, so we'll we'll see what, how people are responding to the homework thing. Curious to know if you are assigning homework and um, to what end. So, one thing that I have changed my mind about with my my current role, right, and the role that I've had since two thousand eight. When I first got into instructional coaching. Uh, in 2008, I really had to figure out what instruction, instructional coaching was, what kind of purpose does it serve? How do I serve adults? How do I figure out this thing? So I had a few things that worked for me when I was a classroom teacher and I came out in instructional coaching and I was like, you know what? The, I'm going to share everything I know about how to do these things. Okay. You soon realize that although people were super kind to me early in my career uh, as, a, as an instructional coach, they were like, you know, it's kind of a cool idea. Like I'll take it, but I would go in and it would be like me demonstrating like things that I did. And I'm like, that is not instructional coaching whatsoever. But I had to learn that lesson the hard way because, and I learned it pretty quickly because I had some good feedback. I had some people in my ear, um, Rob being one of them who was really instrumental about sort of my uh, development as a coach and his mentorship in that role uh, meant so much to me because I think he understood look, you just got to go in and demo this thing to sort of break the ice for what does it mean to demonstrate a lesson in front of, you know, three or four other teachers, right? Like I've got to get through those hurdles um, first before, you know, moving on to how do I release control? How do I give up the, the show that I was putting on and really put time into people so that they experience the same kind of growth um, that I experienced through coaching. And so, uh, since my, so the thing I've changed my mind about is like, it is not about me. It is not about me or the coach in the role. The coach is in a servant leadership role. When I sit down with a colleague now, it is 100% about them 
and I make it 100% about them and the impact they have on students. So before I would take to these conversations and I would maybe take over some thinking, well, you could do this, you could try that, but what about this? And it's like, mm -hmm. realize that doesn't work because now I'm taking over your thinking. You are more than capable of thinking through your own sort of challenges or your inquiries. And for me to take over your thinking is an insult, right? Like it's, it's, it's insulting. Like who am I to do the thinking for you? What I have to be is a disciplined thought partner in that space. I have to hold true to the values that I have around dialogue and reflection and personal and professional growth, which is what I do now. So I basically will, I can pull up in a conversation and have a coaching conversation and you would hear maybe you know, six or seven questions, eight questions from me, uh, a lot of paraphrasing, a lot of listening, like deep listening, which is something I'm always working on and getting better at. But I think that is something that I shifted early in my career as an instructional coach. I thought that it was about demonstrations and being heavy on sort of sharing best practices that way. And then you soon realize that it is more about the conversation and nudging your partners to find their voice and empower them to see the, the circumstances, the, the, I'm sorry, the reality in their own circumstances and the possibilities that they have in front of them. So, yeah. I'd be interested to see you back in the classroom with that type of mentality. Yeah, that I've, I've talked about that. That would be a logical, like, yeah. Cause like we, you and I've talked off, off, offline about, I think, you know, for me, I've, I've ruled out this, this path, uh, not ruled out, but I've definitely, you know, I, I, I would, I wouldn't go down the path of administration, right? Because, because I don't, because I feel very comfortable leading from like leading and creating and doing what I'm doing feels good to me from this space. You're a leader, right? Like we're all leaders in some capacity. We're all coaches in some capacity, right? You're a peer coach, you're a mentor, you're on a team. Like it's all, those are all being part of dialogue and reflection and, and growth. But, um, what I have been really thoughtful of is like, yeah, if the path, if I ever did have to shift back, uh, it would be in a classroom position. And yeah, that would be interesting to hear how I, how I walk back into that role. Right. That'd be a cool little study. We just I would document that thing. We'd have to film it because yes. it would be, I would imagine just yeah, a lot of kids, a lot of kids thinking, and we do that. And I, I, I feel like I did that today. It was either today or yesterday. And I took over a kid's thinking and it's like, I stopped myself and I was like, oh, why, like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Like they, they, they can do this. Like, don't, right. don't feed them everything. And, and it's like you said, in almost in the beginning, I think about like newer teachers, right? First year teachers, newer teachers, you have to learn, you have to fail and you have to make those mistakes and you have to learn things the hard way. I'm sorry. It, it yeah. is just true. Yeah, you can listen to Brian and I as much as you want and we've mm -hmm. been through it. And, but you're going to have to do things. Um, and I think, I think, you know, a lot of teachers who start out, they hear a lot of these things and they try a lot of things and it might not work out for them right away because you got to go through that trial and error. You got to make those mistakes and you got to learn the hard way. And that's what shapes and molds you as an educator and a leader and a coach. That's a powerful message. And honestly, like I'll add to that, that when you are, so I've been encouraging people. So, so one thing that keeps coming up in, in my coaching work with early career teachers lately is this idea of getting clear on what it is you're teaching, like naming your teaching point, right? Mm -hmm. So today I want to teach you how to notice when characters say and do things 
they actually reveal something about their traits and who they are as uh, a person, right? Like that's your teaching point. You may say it like that today, but it's important that you keep bringing it back because the more you continue to say it, the more it crystallizes. The more I say it, the more it crystallizes. The more I say it, you know, right? So that sort of those reps like that, but you have to learn that early. So I'm like, don't just say one teaching point on Tuesday and then never revisit it. Like you have to stay with that a little longer because what it does for you is it puts words around the things that you're teaching. You know, you want them to stop when their character does or says something and you want them to think like, hmm, you want a kid to be like, what is this really saying about my character? Well, in order to do that, I have to be clear on my teaching. I have to say it. And you're not going to say it as clearly as you want all the time, right? Mm -hmm. like I still fumble through like my lines as a teacher and what I'm trying to teach, but I always harken back to like, what's the bigger point? What's the bigger teaching point that I'm after here? And how do I continue to say it? I may say it three or four times in one lesson, mm -hmm. but you have to, like you said, you have to go through those reps to realize that you're like, all right, I've failed enough times in saying this thing, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to say this thing. I'm going to continue to reinforce it. And I think um, that, like you said, it goes with the reps. Let's tackle one more big thing. So we got four things on the list right now, which was we have pivoted or shifted our mindset when it comes to classroom management. When it comes to the space or the environment of our classrooms, we have shifted our thinking. We have grown a little bit. That's something we've changed our mind about. Homework. We have changed our mind about homework. We have been down that path. It is a future episode. We will get to it. I promise you. Um, and I think the last one was um, this idea of not taking over thinking, almost like that sage on the stage kind of mentality. And I started that conversation by thinking, you know, when I started early as a coach, it was sage on the stage kind of work. And you come to realize that it is not. And when you're in servant leadership, which if you're in education, you're in servant leadership, um, you're serving kids, you're serving families, you're, mm -hmm. you're serving colleagues. Um, so yeah, you have to restrain yourself from taking over somebody's thinking because that's where the learning happens. So that restraint, what is one more thing that we have changed our mind about? And then we're going to challenge our audience. One more thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's just so many, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with one that I think is really interesting. And it's a little abstract in the sense that like early on, I thought the value of my teaching was in the test scores, uh -huh. was in the comparative work that my kids would do to my colleague on the same team. I thought, those were the metrics in which I can measure my impact. Mm -hmm. And you come to learn quickly that your impact is in the way that kids kind of experience you, right? Like they, the way that I show up for kids or colleagues in this case, and I asked this question the other day on a video that I made, it's like, how do you, if you really want to raise your self-awareness, one question you can ask yourself is like, how do I want to be experienced by others? Mm -hmm. Because when you ask yourself that question, you're forced to kind of reflect like, how am I showing up now for others? How are others experiencing me today? And when you kind of dig into that, you're like, oh, well, I was good for some, but I wasn't good for others. Or, you know, you, you, you realize that you have some gaps and some things to work on. So I guess early in my career, I thought, all right, I'm going to measure my success by the work that my kids hand in, the amount of work, the quality of that work, the test scores, 
I remember sitting in meetings early in my career, these data meetings, and I don't know, I don't know if they're still happening this way, and I'm sure, I, I hope they're not. But the scores would be put sort of on this PowerPoint, and then there's like this moment where you you look and you're like, all right, my scores don't compare to my colleagues' scores, or our grade level doesn't compare to other grade levels in the building. And you're like, what is happening? And that system is a broken that way, okay? Because what it does is it has everybody leaving feeling a certain way. And for me, I remember like, how am I gonna, that's the reflection of me as a teacher? Like, and I, and I thought to myself like, that can't be. And now I, as, a, as an instructional coach, what I do is I push out uh, sometimes a survey or ask people for a reflection of our work together. That is better, right? Like that qualitative anecdote, some scaling questions in there, you know, those sorts of things feed me a little bit better mm-hmm. now. But early in my career, I used to use all of those metrics and comparative data to kind of measure my success. And you know, and you find out later, it's about the relationships. It's about the impact. It's about the day that you pull, you know, a student aside, like you said, and have a conversation and get them to see more of themselves than they did the day before. Or you dig into, you know, um, you know, the, the story behind why maybe they, they're having an off day. And like those moments are the powerful moments that yield the greatest results. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well said, very well said. Um, to me, so this is this is a quote, right? That has always stuck with me. This is a big one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tear it apart. And I have it <laughs> actually in my room, and I have Maya Angelou up yeah. in my room. But you know, people are gonna forget what you say. People are gonna forget what you did. But they're never gonna forget the way you made them feel. One hundred percent. And that's mm. that's the the like when I read that quote for the first time, it was a few years ago. And I was just like, that's what I'm all about as an educator. And I got sucked into the same trap as you looking mm-hmm. at reading levels. And we've talked about that on, on podcasts and like, how can we get these, you know, and um, I will tell you that I know I've made strong relationships with my kids. I know I've made an impact. But when you think about when you were a kid, you don't remember that much from elementary school. Our kids going to remember me like that's did I make you feel valued? Did I make you feel heard? Did I make you feel safe in my mm-hmm. classroom enough to, you know, are those values still in you because you think about the way that I made you feel? I don't know. You know, I have kids from Westminster. They pop on my TikTok live all the time and they're like, yeah, Mr. Stella. <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, that means more to me than anything, yeah. you know, and, and that's, and that's tough when you're sitting in those meetings sometimes, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they necessarily happen, but sure. Everyone's looking at, everyone wants data and they want to look at like, I think that comes from a point of like, we have to measure something, right? Because we, right. and I think some of it's bad, right? But mm-hmm. some of it, comes from a good way too, because we really do want the data to see like our kids improving is our instruct. How can we get better? But sometimes it's just, it's like misused. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, like it was, it's just something that I've changed my mind about like measuring, you know, now I'm a little bit clearer on my why 
you know, thanks mm-hmm. to Simon Sinek, his work and really being clear on like my vision and my why I've written out my mi- mission statement. I revisit it quarterly, you know, throughout the year, every 10 weeks or so. And I just kind of like reflect on those things. Like, am I showing up the way that I want to show up for people, the way that I said I was going to show up? Do I, am I still leaning into those values, you know? Um, and, and those values have gotten sharper over time. Right. But I think early on in my career, it's easy to fall into that trap of comparative sort of teacher analysis where you're, you're just sort of like, ah, am I doing a good enough job? And honestly, like, thank God I had amazing colleagues when I first started. Mm-hmm. Right. And still do to this day, obviously. But like I walk out of there in those meetings early on in my career and I had somebody like Steve or Corinne who pulled me aside and said, listen, you're, you're not going to get hung up on those numbers. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're, you're good for kids. You are good for kids. And when you have somebody in your corner who's championing, championing your cause that way, that's a big deal because they can see it on your face in those meetings. They know you're an early career teacher. They know you're new, right? And those are like the bumps that they can see the comparative wheels turning. You're like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't get that. I don't know enough about the curriculum. I don't know enough about teaching yet. But for me, having somebody that walked out after a meeting and said, listen, you're good for kids. Keep showing up keep being there for your kids, smile on your face, do the things that you're doing. And it's like, yeah, that made a big deal, a big impact on me. So that's good. So we have like a lot of, again, me writing this stuff down. So we talked about, we've changed our mind on classroom management. We've changed our mind when it came to the environment of our classrooms. We've changed our mind on the big bucket of homework. Um, We have changed our mind as to how we show up and restrain ourselves in conversation and not taking over people's thinking. And it's not the sage on the stage kind of mindset. And then the last one we talked about here was the idea of early career, earlier on in our careers, we change our mind about the ways that we measure our success, right? Like that's a pretty good list, uh, in my opinion. And uh, I'll just sort of tee this one up for you, uh, which is, you know, I know you're going to close us out. And we are going to bring on some guests. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a big moment uh, for us in this podcast and our growth because um, there are some questions that I think I want to learn as much as I can uh, from the colleagues that we bring on. And um, a question like this is something that maybe we should have as a stable question in our episodes where it's like, what's something you've changed your mind on? Could be recent, could be over your career. Um, because I want to hear that insight, right? Like, Because I think those stories help the narrative uh, around teaching and learning and growth. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really powerful. So why don't you take us out? Yeah. So, you know, you'll see me in these podcasts, writing everything down because I'm learning from Brian and you know, we're learning from each other. And that's why this is called people who teach. We want to get people, just like Brian said, we want to get people in here. We want to get this input. We want to grow as educators, as coaches, as leaders, as humans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hope that, you know, if you're watching this podcast, you get as uplifted and kind of like maybe even turn turn your day around like I do when I kind of sit here and talk with Brian um, because we do, we learn from each other so much. And I think I want to say, Brian, that that's probably our why is hmm. you know learning and ever growing. And that's what people who teach is really all about. I love that. Um, so if you guys have any comments, please, or have any changes, please comment below. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear on what you've changed. Uh, we're going to bring some people in and, um, you know, if you're finding value in this podcast, um, please subscribe and uh, check out our episodes and we'll see you next time. You should subscribe to people who teach. Definitely.
100%. All right, Andrew. Thanks, man. See you, man. Take it easy. All right. That episode was so much fun to work our way through and really think about. And it has me reflecting on just so many more things that I've changed my mind about and the growth that I've experienced. And I'm sure as you went through this, you either identified with some of the things that we were discussing or you thought about your own growth. You thought about that question. What are the things that I've changed my mind about, right? What what have I pivoted on? And honestly, I would encourage you to share this with your colleagues, get their stories, try to get into the space of what it is you've changed your mind about because it really helps you identify those areas of growth that you've experienced and how you're different as an educator now than you were when you first started. If you haven't done so, uh, leave us a comment, let us know how we're doing. And uh, as always, subscribe. And until next time, keep showing up for kids.